Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. We're our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. So the Bible, the Word of God, gives us the boundary of whatever we teach and whatever we practice in this faith. Because there is no new foundation that can be laid apart from that which has been laid. Hallelujah. You don't build a foundation, your new foundation. The foundation has already been laid. So all we do is that we build on already laid foundation. And even what we use in building is what God himself has made available for us. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I'll continue teaching on the forgiveness of sins. Amen? The forgiveness of sins. And today, specifically, we'll be talking about confession of sins. Hallelujah. Confession of sins. You know, the things that we'll be learning are not new truth. Amen? They are not new truth. Neither are they an innovation or renovation of biblical truth. Everything I will be teaching you today is exactly what I myself have been taught. Now, it's very important I begin from this. So that it will be a caution to all of us believers, especially young people. Any teaching that has not been taught by the apostles in scriptures is a false teaching. Any teaching that have not been taught, you know, you don't bring your truth from somewhere. You don't have the prerogative right to teach anything that has not been teach, that has not been taught in scriptures. So the Bible, the word of God, gives us the boundary of whatever we teach and whatever we practice in this faith. Because there is no new foundation that can be laid apart from that which has been laid. Hallelujah. You don't build a foundation, your new foundation. The foundation has already been laid. So all we do is that we build on already laid foundation. And even what we use in building is what God himself has made available for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. We'll see where Paul is speaking here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. Media team, we have to be fast today, all right? Give me New King James Version. Yes, it says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds on it. But let each one take heed now he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that which, than, which, than that which is laid. And what is that foundation? Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, and hair, straw, and then on and on and on. And then give me again Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. 
Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20. Having been built on what? On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus Christ is the foundation that the apostles and the prophets have built. Being the what? The chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is a chief cornerstone. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 22. In whom you also are built together for a dwelling place for God in the spirit. Hallelujah. So we are not laying a new truth. It's not an innovation. We don't innovate in this kingdom. There's nothing that you bring that should be new, actually. Must be what is found within the circumference and the walls of the scriptures. You know, Paul will admonish Timothy to teach others what he has learned. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. We see where Paul is telling Timothy to teach what he himself has learned. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. And the things that you have heard from among, from me, from, um, uh, from me, among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So all that we are committing to you in church here is what we ourselves have been committed. It's what we ourselves have been taught. It's what we ourselves have learned. It's what we ourselves are able to, as leaders and as teachers of the world here, are able to practice in our own lives. And as we commit it to you, the responsibility you have is also to know it, to be equipping it, and you also teach others. That is the expectation of God to every believer. So whatever sermon you're going to preach cannot come outside, outside what you've been taught. Especially in the scriptures. And the foundation starts with the apostles. Paul himself received from others as well. Paul is not the inventor of the gospel. He also received from others as well. We see where he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. says, for I receive, hallelujah, I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. So he received, right? And he also delivered. That the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread. Now the question is, was Paul there? Was Paul there in that meeting where Jesus Christ was betrayed? Was he part of the 12 disciples? Which means that he might have been taught what happened that night. Amen? For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And what did he do? He broke it, right? And then he had given thanks. He broke it and said, take it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do, in, do this in remembrance of me. So what I'm establishing is that there's nothing new except that which I've been laid, the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So what we'll be doing is to excavate the truth from the scriptures and not to innovate the truth. You know, we don't innovate the truth. 
So whatever you hear today that seems new to you is not actually new. It's new only because you are knowing it for the first time. But it's always been there in scriptures. You know, some in the attempt to sound unique and different has wandered into heresy because they want to sound different. They want to sound special. They want to sound unique. You know, and they've wandered into heresy. So we must be careful as well. Because the scriptures must be presented in its exactness and correctness. And any deviation from the exact, you know, author's initial purpose and meaning will lead to error. No matter who is deviating it. No matter how old the deviation has been. No matter how long that lie has been. No matter how powerful the person speaking the deviation is. It is always an error. Hallelujah. So our responsibility as believers is to be studious. Is to be that workman that need not to be ashamed. But what? But rightly, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Hallelujah. Now having laid this foundation, having said these things, let's begin our discussion on the, conf the, the, the confession of sins. You know, we've been talking about the forgiveness of sins. If you are new or you traveled, there are four other teachings that I've done till now. So if you want to have more background to what we've been talking about concerning the forgiveness of sins, it will do you a lot of good to listen to those teachings again. Because some of the things we'll be sharing today might seem new to you, but they're not really new because we've been talking about them. You know, so confession of sin is a very common practice, right? How many of us confess our sins today? Be honest. If you didn't confess, uh, let's know those who are truly believers. How many of us confess our sin today? Be, be bold to raise up your hand. Yes. So we don't used to confess sin in this church. What if the trumpet sound? You know, when we sin, when we sin, not if, but when we sin, or let's say if we sin, the expectation is that we confess and ask God for forgiveness, right? And then God will now forgive us. And the quickest reference to this, of course, is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that we read earlier on. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Give me the scripture quickly. <laughs> 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then I ask, if I don't confess each and every sin I have done, what will happen to me? What if I don't remember all the sins I have done to confess them one by one? You know, some of us, we go to the priest for confession. You know, and when we confess, we feel this, this kind of feel good inside you. You feel, ah, I've confessed. Thank God I've confessed. So now God will now forgive me because I've confessed. 
What if I don't remember and even know that I've sinned? What if you sin ignorantly? What happened to your sin? What happens to me if I don't remember what I've done that is wrong? Then of course, we also have another star scriptures, Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13 that says that if you If you cover what? Eh? He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So mercy is dependent on what? On covering the sins, confessing, and then forsaking them. Then the mercy of God will come. Now, we must explore and deal with this issue once and for all. Hallelujah. And these are some scriptures I bring out to make us understand what we are going to be talking about. And I want us to be prepared our minds so that we can deal with these questions in this season once and for all. Hallelujah. Once and for all. Amen? Amen? All right. So what is confession of sins? It is an Old Testament concept. It didn't begin in the New Testament. In fact, it didn't begin with the Catholic Church. It didn't begin with our Pentecostal churches. You know, when we come in the morning before we start worship, we say, brothers in the Lord, let's begin to confess our sins. Both the ones we know and the ones we don't know. In case we have sinned so that God will hear us, so that God will accept our worship. It is actually an Old Testament concept that it entails the high priest. Listen to this. The high priest confessing the sins of all Israel. And how does he confess it? He confesses it on a goat hmm? of escape. Right? They will bring an animal. And what would the high priest do? He will confess all the sins of the people of Israel on it. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 21. You see that in Leviticus chapter 16 verse 21. And also, yeah. It says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. By the hand of a suitable man. Hallelujah. And in the Old Testament, we also see where confession of sin is done by an individual, an individual confession of sins. That one was for the congregation of the nation. National confession of sin, right? And we have a personal one that we do it, that they do it actually individually. And we can see that in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters. If you read, you see all, all of the matters. That he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Verse 6. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord. Confession is always attached to an offering. He shall bring a trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. A female from the flock or a flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning what? Concerning his sin. And we see also in Leviticus 26 verse 40. Leviticus 26 verse 40. Individual confession of sin. Leviticus 26 verse 40. Yes. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity, this one is, is not even 
individual is a family confession. We have seen the national confession of sin. We have seen the individual confession of sin. Now it's a family. You know, some of us, we used to, we used to uh, confess generational sin. Not causes, but sin of generation, right? The sin of my forefathers. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they have, they were unfaithful to me, that they also have walked contrary to me. And that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised are humble and they accept their guilt, verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. Numbers chapter 5, verse 6. Then Numbers chapter 5, verse 6. Numbers 5, verse 6. We'll see another one. It says, speak to the children of Israel. When a man or a woman, so it's not only men that confess, women also confess. When a man or a woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. Shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one whom he has wronged. That is between men, relationship with men. Verse 7, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass and on and on and on. Hallelujah. So we can conclude that for the forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament, that is under the law, was, con was, was, was conditional. We've said this before. The forgiveness of sins under the law was conditional to what man will do. Are we together? It's conditional for you to receive forgiveness of sins Confession of sins was very important, was very crucial part of what you must do in order for you to receive forgiveness. It was based on the confession of sins that men receive forgiveness of sins. And of course, the offerings and everything that they do. And we all know why the law was given, actually. Right? Why was the law was, was given? Huh? Hello? This, this teaching, I'm not trying to motivate you. Why was the law given? Because of unbelief, right? Because they don't believe what God has said. Therefore, the law. So, the law is a product of unbelief. The law is a product of trespass. Are we together? Because of the unbelief of the people of Israel, then the law was introduced. So, all this Levitical process of confession of sin is a product of the law. If you want a scripture, Galatians 3 verse 19. Hallelujah. And we'll also see some snippets of it in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 3 verse 5. Someone will say, ah, but it's in the New Testament. Okay. Matthew chapter 3 verse 5 to 6. We see John talking. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him. And what were they doing to him? They were baptized by him in Jordan. What were they doing? They were confessing their sins. So brothers and sisters, you have to confess your sins. Is it? Is that what he's saying? Mark chapter 1 verse 4. A collaborative scripture. Mark chapter 1 verse 4. Mark chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. John came baptizing the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. Verse 5. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him 
in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Matthew 11 verse 11 to 13. Matthew 11 verse 11 to 13. Matthew 11 verse 11 to 13. Matthew 11, 11 to 13. As surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until who? Until John. So John is part of the Levitical era. Hallelujah. John existed under the law. John was the last prophet of that dispensation. So he spoke under the law. Amen. We therefore see that and can conclude that the act of confessing sins was particularly discussed under the dispensation of the law. So confession of sins was particularly under the dispensation of the law. Hallelujah. Now, as we normally do in these teachings, let's build a hypothesis. Amen? Let's make some open-ended statements, and then let's try to investigate in scriptures to see if these statements are true. Hallelujah. Now, the first thing I want you to write, if you're writing, is this, and we're going to look at it at the end of this teaching series. No scripture in the epistles instruct believers to confess their sins to God in order to receive forgiveness. Quickly, someone will say, ah, but, but we just read one now. First John chapter 1 verse 9. All that will we'll, we'll, we'll dismantle that passage very well. Right. No scripture in the epistles instruct believers to confess their sins to God in order to receive forgiveness. Number two, confession under the New Testament is hinged on Jesus. Acknowledging all that he has done and is doing in and through us, that is we believers. I said it again. Confession under the New Testament is hinged on Christ. Acknowledging all that he has done and is doing in and through us believers. And then the last one. Jesus met, was made sin. Of course, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 talks about that. For us, which is why from the epistles, we are not to confess our sins like a literal, you know, confession, right? But rather confess what Jesus did for sins. Don't, did to sins for humanity. And what did he do? He died for sin, right? Thereby fulfilling the demands of sins. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. So we're going to establish this truth in scriptures as we study together. The goal of this exposition is to prove these three claims. If we're able to establish this truth, then I believe we will deal with this issue of confession of sins. So what is confession of sin in the New Testament? Confession of sin in the New Testament. Now the word confession, hello, the word confession, first of all, look up. When you see it in the English dictionary, right, it's not exactly what it means in scriptures. So if you come to scriptures with your English dictionary knowledge, 
you will always interpret scripture wrongly. Hallelujah. In the English dictionary on Google, I Google it. Confession, right? It says that it's a formal statement admitting that one is guilty of a crime. A formal statement, you know, you formally declaring that what? That I have done this and I'm wrong and I'm guilty of the crime. Now let me ask you this question. In a human court, when you commit a crime and, you, and the judge says that you are guilty of this crime and you admit that you are guilty, does that take away the punishment of the sin, of the crime? Eh? It might... It might reduce the punishment, right? In some, even some cases, because there's a part where if you admit, they will lessen the punishment. But does it take away the wrong that has been done? Does it solve the problem of the wrong that has been done? So bring it to our relationship with God. So why will admitting that you are guilty take away sin? Why, why will admitting that you are wrong, right, deal with the issue of sin? Something for us to think about. Of course, we know that only confessing Jesus brings about the forgiveness of our sins. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, verse 8 to, to 10, right? It talks about confessing Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. So admitting that you're wrong, yes, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Nine. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, what do you confess? The Lord Jesus, right? I've said this earlier on that we confess Jesus. All through the epistles, we don't see where we confess sins, but we confess Jesus. That if you confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So what makes you safe? The confession of Jesus. What makes you forgiven? The confession of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, confession in the New Testament is translated from a Greek word, homologio. I will spell it properly so that we can go and study as well. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. Which means to say same as same thing as another. The meaning is to say same thing as another. That is to agree with, to assent. It means to agree with your heart and with your mouth. It means to agree with your heart and with your mouth. Which is slightly, you know, a deviation from what the English dictionary says. So if we have to confess in every day, confess in every day, then we are still under the law. It means we have seen consciousness. That's what it means. It means that we are as well under the law as the people that were under the law. But we are already blessed and forgiven once and for all. Hallelujah. The believer is already what blessed and forgiven. And the forgiveness, I said this the last time, that your forgiveness is not an instrumental forgiveness. The forgiveness we receive is a once and for all forgiveness. Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 7 talks about our blessedness in Christ. Hallelujah. 
Our forgiveness is once and for all. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's not trying to bless us. He will not bless us, but he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we are holy. We are not trying to become holy, but we are holy already. Hallelujah. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 7. 6 rather. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted already in the beloved. In him, what do we have? We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we already have the forgiveness of sins. We already have the forgiveness of sins. Our forgiveness is done once and for all. Our forgiveness is done once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 talks about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10. And Jesus did it once and for all. By that will we have been sanctified. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once and for all. Hallelujah. Once and for all. And every priest stand ministering daily and offering repeatedly the sacrifices which can never take away sins. And which are these sacrifices? The Levitical practice, right? The daily to offer sacrifice that cannot take away sins. But Jesus did it once and for all and he took it away all our sins. The sins you committed, the sins you commit, the sins you... If there's a futuristic sin, he has forgiven all of them once. It's a history. Was tough. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever. Hallelujah. How many sacrifices Jesus offered? One. Forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. So, so, so he sat down at the right hand of God. Yes, verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies be met, his footstool 14, the last verse here. For by one offering, he has perfected. Hallelujah. Who has he perfected? He has perfected the believer. Amen. He has perfected you once and for all by one sacrifice. He has perfected you. Those who are sanctified, not being sanctified, those who are sanctified. Hallelujah. He has perfected forever those who are sanctified. You're not being sanctified. You are not being made holy. You are already holy. You are already sanctified. You are already righteous. And you are already perfected. Hallelujah. Look at verse 18. Jump to verse 18. 18. It says, Now, where there is remission of this, is no longer an offering for sin. Hallelujah. Because of what Christ has done once and for all, he no longer does it again. So when you come and say, Jesus, I'm coming for the forgiveness of sin, what you're trying to say is that, Jesus, I'm coming so that you will die again. Which we know is not possible. Hallelujah. The death he died, he died once and for all. And that death is effective from now till forever. 
from when he died till forever. Hallelujah. So this is the reality of the believer. This is our portion as Christians. So we often see confessions in the negative. Whenever they talk about confession, ah, man, what did she say? You know, we're looking for negatives, right? What did he say? What did he do that is wrong? But in the New Testament, confession is always positive. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, the epistles, confession is what? Is always positive. It's always positive. And always used in speaking about Jesus Christ and his work. Whenever we see confession in the epistles in the New Testament, it is strictly used for Jesus Christ and all he has done. Can we look at that? Let's look at it. Romans chapter 10 verse 8. We've just read, right? Confession of Jesus Christ for salvation. Romans chapter 14 verse 11. Romans 14 verse 11. We see where confession strictly is directed on Jesus. Romans chapter 14 verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Hallelujah. Confess to God. What do we confess? Let's collaborate with another scripture. Philippians 2 verse 10 to 11. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. Philippians 2 verse 10 to 11. Philippians 2. Yes, verse 10. That the name of, at the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth. And of those under the earth. Verse 11. And that every tongue should confess. And what do they confess? Their sins. They confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 also. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14, Amplified Classic. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our what? Our confession. And what is our confession? Huh? Of faith in who? In him. So what are we confessing here? Faith in who? In Jesus. Amen? So confession is in the positive or in the negative. It's on Jesus, right? And his work. Faith on Jesus. Hallelujah. Move to chapter 10, verse 23. The same Amplified Classic. Same Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 23. We'll see another one. Hebrews, chapter 10. Verse 23. So let us cease and hold fast and return without wavering the hope we cherish and confess. What do we hope? What do we cherish and confess? Eh? And our acknowledgement of it, for he who promised is reliable, sure, and faithful to his word. So there's a hope which we cherish and we confess. So what we are confessing is a hope we have in Christ. Not our sins. Hallelujah. So it's a hope that we have in Christ that we confess, not our sins. Amen? First John chapter 1 verse 9. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. If we freely, okay, thank you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is about confessing what Christ has done. We explain it properly. Chapter 4 verse 1 to 3. First John chapter 4 verse 1 to 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And what were they doing? By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that does what? That confesses their sins, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. Let's look at the other side. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is a spirit of who? Of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Hallelujah. 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7. They don't have verse 7. Okay. Let me check if my one is still there. They have. Okay. So for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not what? What do they confess? Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the word a deceiver and the antichrist. I don't want to talk about the deceiver. I don't want to talk about the antichrist. I just want you to focus on confession and what comes after confession, and what we should confess. Now, there are many scriptures, actually. Make it a study. Look at everywhere in the epistles, in the epistles where confession or profession, because it's the same word, you see the next thing is talking about what Christ has done, or Jesus himself. Hallelujah. So, in no way will you see in the epistles, believers are taught to confess their sins. Amen? So where did we get that from? From the Old Testament. Amen? Under the law. So we who are believers in Christ, are we under the law? Huh? So if we are not under the law, what should we do? We can't act as those who are under the law. Right? Now, holding this truth in one end. Now, let me ask. I'm not going to say. So that you know, say that I was the one that said it. If you confess your sins, are you doing the right thing? Eh? Okay. Look at more proofs. Hallelujah. I'm not setting you up. There's another one in James chapter 5. Someone will say, okay, what about James chapter 5 verse 16? Eh? James chapter 5 verse 16, right? Let's look at that one quickly. Confess your trespasses to who? To one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh-huh. This one says we should confess trespasses. He didn't say Jesus. But who did he say? To who? To God? To one another. Which means that if I wrong you, I should be able to admit that I have wronged you. And the essence of this is for what? It's for our relationship, right? For healing. And this healing, let me tell you, it's not physical healing. It's a healing of relationships. Amen? 
Particularly, he's talking about, it's not physical healing. It's a healing of what? Of broken relationships. Hallelujah. So this cannot be a verse that you say, oh, the Bible teaches us to confess sins so that we will be forgiven. It's for the restoration of broken human relationships. Are we together? Amen? You're not agreeing. Hallelujah. Please agree, oh. Hallelujah. So we can conclude that no scriptures in the epistles instruct believers to confess their sins to God in order to receive forgiveness. So confession in the epistles, we've seen with proofs, several proofs beyond, you know, numbers, that confession is not what brings forgiveness of sins. Except this first John chapter 1 verse 9 that seems to speak otherwise. It seems to speak otherwise. Give us that first John chapter 1 verse 9. This scripture is one of the scriptures that has destabilized our understanding in the Christendom, if not rightly, you know, has affected our worship life. Just one verse. Not even the entire book. Just one verse. Not even the entire verse. Half part of the verse has rendered our worship with Kelik. Nonsense. Yes, let me say the word nonsense. If we confess our sins, you see this part alone? That is a problem. And you know why the problem is? The problem is not even the entire sentence. The problem is the comma there. The placement of the comma is what altered our worship. We're going to come back to it later. Hallelujah. Keep this at the back of your mind. When the Bible was written in the original language, no chapters, no verses, no punctuation. Plain. Now, these commas, chapters, and, and what do you call it? And punctuations were added by translators to help us understand. Now, we're not rubbishing their work. But we have a diligent responsibility to learn how to interpret scripture so we can come to a proper knowledge of what the word of God is saying that our worship will be effective and right. Hallelujah. Now, if here, will mean forgiveness of sins is conditional to confession of every sin. Isn't it? What is if? If means it's a conditional statement, isn't it? Every sin committed, confess, then God will forgive. That's what it means. This will go totally against all New Testament teachings concerning the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. During Catechismus, our pastor, Pastor Victor, taught us we learn how to judge accurately interpretation of the Bible. Now, what we're doing here, we're going to do interpretation of scriptures together. One of the points he raised is that every interpretation must not contradict the thought the author already established in his other writings. Isn't it? The, the writer cannot say this thing in this chapter, and when he reads to chapter 2, then he says an opposite. Then he's either he was smoking something, or the translators were sleeping when they were translating. So if you read the Bible carelessly, you say, this Bible is full of contradiction. No, no, no. It's you that did not properly interpret what was there. There's no contradiction in scriptures. So what the writer said in one verse, right, cannot contradict what he says in another verse. That means that that interpretation is wrong. Or, one of the things he says, that he, or the established truth in all other scriptures. Because, you see, to properly interpret the Bible, any text, we must collaborate scriptures. Hallelujah. No part of scripture is of private interpretation. Amen. The biggest problem we have 
today in our modern day Christianity that is supposed to be an advantage for us is the verses that are in scriptures. Someone can carry one verse and run with one verse. My brother, you run into error. So scriptures must be collaborated. The entire truth of scriptures must be brought into context in interpreting a verse. If that interpretation violates any other principles in scriptures, then that interpretation is wrong. You have to check again. You have to come, study again to come to a reasonable conclusion of what that verse is saying. So if 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 is to, to be taken as it says, it will contradict what other scriptures says are saying. Concerning what? Concerning the forgiveness of sins. Now let's look at what some scriptures are saying. And let's look at what 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Give us Matthew chapter 26 verse 27. Let's see how forgiveness of sin is received. This one says by confession. Let's take it like this, right? If you confess, then you'll be forgiven, isn't it? Now let's look at Matthew chapter 26 verse 27 to 28. Matthew 26, 27, 28. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Now, this is Jesus speaking. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for what? For many, for the remissions of sins. So what remits sins here? The blood of Jesus. Confession or the blood? The blood of Jesus, right? All right. Give us Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 37 to 39. Acts chapter 13. We're trying to look at scriptures that says otherwise. But he whom God raised up saw no, saw no corruption. That's it. Therefore let it be known to you. This is Simon. Someone is preaching here. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. So it's true. How do we receive the forgiveness of sins? By the preaching of who? Christ. And by him, everyone who believes. So how is forgiveness of sin received? By what? By faith. Belief is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Right? So it's by faith. So it means that the interpretation of 1 John 1 verse 9 will be wrong. Because we've seen two scriptures. Let's add another one. Chapter 10 verse 43. Same Acts chapter 10 verse 43. Chapter 10 verse 43. To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, through whose name? Through Jesus, right? Whoever believes in him will receive what? The remission of sin. So remission of sin is true what? True faith. And not true confession of sins. Do you understand? Yes? Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So, true one, whoever believes in him, in him, receives what? The remission of sins. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption in who? In Christ. Through his blood. And if you are in salmity, you know what that blood means. Amen? If you are in salmity, you know what that, this blood means. It means something, which means something, which means something. It's up to you to go and verify it. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, right? According to the riches of his grace. Amen? So it's not by confession here. 
Let's check another one. Colossians 1 verse 14. Colossians 1 verse 14. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. In whom we have redemption through confession. Through confessing our sins. Isn't, isn't what he says? Through, the forgive, uh, through his blood, right? The forgiveness of sins. Let's take this last one, Revelation chapter 5. There are many. I'm telling you, there are many. But let's, let, let's take this, this last one, Revelation 5, verse 8 to 9. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Let's leave that one there. Let's look at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open his seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your word, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So forgiveness of sin is always connected and attached to the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So all the Bible verses and many more shows that forgiveness of sin is received as a gift through what Christ has done and not by what you do, not by confessing your sins. Amen? So that is how we receive forgiveness of sins, by faith. Give me some few minutes. I'll, I'll wrap it or then we'll continue next week, please. Let's go further to explain 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. It's likely that John used a New Testament perception to cutting an Old Testament scripture. Because I said earlier on that the prophets, the apostles, they're not teaching something new. Are we together? John must have quoted David when he said in Psalm 35, 32, rather, give us Psalm 32, verse 1 to 5, that he should confess his guilt to the Lord. And we see Paul also making reference to that same Psalm 35, 32. He says, let's read verse 1 to 5. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is what is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hands was heavy upon me. My vitality was torn into the drought of, of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you. Mm. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my translation to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hallelujah. So probably John may have had this scripture in mind when he was writing this. But then... His interpretation of this verse must be with a New Testament perspective. Hallelujah. We'll look at Paul making reference to the same passage, which is very important for us. We're going to see this, what Paul said concerning this same scripture will help us when we come to dismantle that chapter, verse 9. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. See, if these things is not bringing light to you, hmm? if you don't have joy in listening to this thing, I don't know what else will give you joy. Chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was 
accounted to him, accounted to him for what? For righteousness. So how did he receive righteousness? Righteousness simply means he was forgiven, right? By believing God. Right? For what does the scripture say? Okay, we've read that. For what does... Help me now. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Right? But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6. Just as David, so you see, he's making reference to David now. Just as David described the blessedness of the man. Where do we see this blessedness? Psalm 32. Blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So you see the way Paul interprets it. He says he imputed apart from works. Right? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8. Blessed is a man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Hallelujah. And here Paul is saying that it's apart from works. Not that the man did something so the Lord responds by what the man did. Are we together? He's attaching it to what happened with Abraham. Are we together? Amen. Hallelujah. So in order to have a grasp of Job's emphasis concerning confession of sin, as under we see in verse, this version, it is imperative to read the whole chapter. See, you, you have to read the whole chapter. Right? To come to this reasonable conclusion on what Paul, or rather John, was saying. And I've given us a technique on dictating a wrong interpretation. If verse 1 says one thing and verse 2 says another thing, it means that there's a problem in interpretation. If verse 3 says another thing, it means that there's, inter there's wrong interpretation. Hallelujah. So by next week, when we come together, we're going to look at the book of John together. And we'll look at where other things, go and study throughout the week. And we'll see what John says concerning the forgiveness of sins. In fact, even in, in, the, epist in the Gospels, what did John say about the forgiveness of sins in, in the Gospels? For God so loved the world, right? That he gave, what? It's only begotten son. That whosoever confessed to him, right? Shall not perish. Is that what he says? Who wrote the book of John? John himself. He also wrote First John, Second John, and Third John, right? So we're going to look at all these scriptures. Is he consistent in his theology concerning the forgiveness of sins? How can he say in, in John chapter 3, verse 16, that whoever believes, right, shall have everlasting life? And then you come to First John, and then you now write to another people. Maybe his gospel has changed. He has grown. Are we going to say that he has grown? There must be consistency in theology. Are we together? And scriptures must be corroborated together to reach a meaningful interpretation. Hallelujah. So what we are teaching you here is not to just hold verses and run. You run into accident and error. Amen. So I pray that God will help us to dwell on this as we come next week in the name of Jesus. Before next week, on Wednesday, there's a teaching on rightly dividing the word. Amen. Please, I want to beg you in the name of God because these things are not separate. Are we together? Man, man of God said that you will receive it even through your nose. This month, you will receive it even through your nose. You will learn how to interpret scriptures by force. Hallelujah. 
So when you go out there, you are able to be an able minister of the gospel. Your worship becomes accurate. Ministry becomes accurate. Worship becomes accurate. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes and pray and say, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for clarity that is in your word. Thank you for insight. Thank you for revelation that is found within the pages of your word. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.